Welcome to another episode of Georgia Detail, the podcast series about big data analytics and data management in the cloud. And I'm your host, Mark Whitman. So my guest in today's episode is Yali Sassoon, who some of you may know from the company you founded, Snowplow Analytics. So Yali, welcome to the show. I take it you're also from London as well. That's right. I'm a fellow Londoner. Excellent. Well, it's um, it's good to meet you finally. I've read a lot about you and I've, re- I've seen you a lot on the, your YouTube videos and, of course, the products that you, uh, you you founded as well. But tell us just briefly, you know, who, who are you? You know, what was your um, what was your route into Snowplow a little bit? And just actually start off a little bit with what Snowplow is and what you do. Um, so um, Snowplow is a data collection platform. The idea is that the, the technology makes it easy for any company that wants to collect data about how they're engaging with their users across all different platforms and channels, web, mobile, different marketing channels like email, uh, sensors and wearables, smart TV, uh, and also offline offline platforms. So to, to build to build a data set that describes all those interactions uh, in, in, in one place, um, to ship that data to a data warehouse so that the company can use that data to build real insight into, into who this user is and how they can serve them best. And then to make that data available in real time so that the, the company can take that data and use it to better engage, um, better engage that user, lead to better outcomes, make better decisions. Okay. Okay. So how did you, I mean, taking a step back, how did you uh, get into doing this? And what was your work you were doing before Snowplow that led you to to, to have this idea and found this company? Um, so I've, my whole my whole life, I've been working with data of, of, of one sort or another. So I had a kind of background in, in uh, natural sciences and physics in particular, then I studied sort of the history of science and philosophy of science. I was really, I've, I've always been interested in um, in how people have, have have tried to build build understanding of different things and how the role that data has played in in building that insight and building that understanding. Um, so I worked most of my life as a consultant, as a strategy consultant, as an operational consultant, um, and I was always interested in digital. So I did a stint working for Open Ads that became Open Egg, uh, and is, is still Open X today. Um, but but in in the years directly prior to starting Snowplow. Um, Alex, my co-founder, and I, we had our own little boutique um, consultancy, and we were working with companies that weren't, uh, that largely weren't digital natives. They were mostly companies that had built successful businesses in the offline world, transition to uh, to more of a digital world. And a lot of the work we were doing was helping them with the product, the digital product development piece, which was the, the piece that was really new to them. And a big, a big part of that was showing them that in digital, you had this opportunity to use data, um, to collect data and use data about how your users actually engage with your digital product to help inform that product development process. So what you, what you today call product analytics, but remember this is, this is sort of 10 years ago when the idea of, of, of product analytics was, was much less well um, understood than it is uh, than it is today. So we were we were working with these companies. Nearly all of them had either Google Analytics or Omniture, which has since become Adobe setup. And um, we found we there were lots of things we wanted to do with the data. Um, like we wanted to ask uh, questions uh, to help the product the product development process that GA Google Analytics and uh, Omniture weren't built really to answer. And we wanted to combine that data with other data sets. Um, 
so you know CRM data, other other sorts of offline marketing data, and and so on. And, and again, that wasn't that that wasn't possible. So we were we had all these desires around uh, using what for us was this incredibly rich, interesting uh, data set, and all these frustrations because we we typically couldn't use the data that we wanted uh, in the way that we wanted for those clients, um, and that was what really. Uh, that uh, that that was one of the the main drivers for sort of creating creating Snowplow. Okay, so so I mean I, I came into the digital world um, about sort of two years ago, and I was surprised at how <clears throat> how separate that was and how different it was to doing analytics on say kind of enterprise data, you know, data warehouses and that sort of thing. You know, I came from a world of, of working things like Oracle and, and and Cognos and that sort of thing. And, and I was surprised at this whole kind of separate world of digital analytics and product analytics and so on that was out there that used tools like Google Analytics and Omniture and so on. It, it's quite a separate world, isn't it, from from that kind of enterprise BI world, really? Yeah, it's a totally separate world. And it really it really surprised me that I always considered myself a, a data guy. And I always considered that web data was just another pot of, pot of data. So it always grated on me that there was a, another another set of tools, um, but the thing that that, uh, that where that data lived. But the thing that really frustrated me, and this is really different if you're from a data warehousing world, or even if you're just a consultant who's used used to working in Excel sort of twenty four seven. Like if you're if you're in an Excel world, you start off with a question, and then you go get the data that you need to answer your question, and you uh, you 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 reshape the data, you do whatever is required to get the data to fit your question. Whereas in digital analytics, the expectation is that you log into a UI and the answers to, to your questions are there. And it's actually, it's it's actually in digital analytics, people people have come to let the tools define the questions that they should be asking instead of starting off by thinking what question should I be answering and then taking the data and fitting fitting the data to the question. There's a because for for whatever reason, and we can discuss it if it's if if it's interesting. Digital analytics has been kind of uh, built around these, these these solutions, and the the makers of those solutions have have largely defined the questions that and and the analysis that have been performed in digital analytics in a way that isn't isn't true in the rest of analytics at large. That's interesting. I mean, certainly, certainly, my one of the first impressions that I got when I went into digital was, <clears throat> I guess, how much more analytically minded a lot of the analysts were that I worked with in, in, in these kind of companies. So there was, I was surprised at how much SQL was used, for example, um, as opposed to sort of using kind of graphical tools. And, you know, and, and, and so there were this, the other thing really was interesting was the, the complete dominance of Google Analytics as well. I mean, that really, it really was the kind of, it still is, I suppose, the dominant kind of tool. And, and, and that's almost the de facto definition of everything. People, people, people think that analytics is Google Analytics in this world as well, or certainly they did you think so. Did you find that as well? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's extraordinary what the, the guys at, at, at Google have achieved in terms of the dominance of that analytics solution. And uh, look, the Google Analytics is, is, is brilliant for a whole, a whole raft of things. And Google have done an incredible service for the world, making that product product free. But um, but yeah, the flip side is, especially the the free product, and that's all that there was for years, has really has 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 really defined um, what digital analytics is for the the vast majority of uh, digital analysts um, even today. Mm. So what was the I suppose what was then the problem that you saw you saw needed to be solved then that led to um, 
Snowplow. So you said there were limitations in web analytics tools and, and, and so on. But what led you to go from, you know, consulting is, is, is can be quite a nice business to be in, in a way, you know, that, but to actually go there and actually start to build a product and feel the pain enough to kind of do that. What was it that really sort of prompted you to start Snowplow and think it's worth starting something new and fresh beyond sort of like the standards, really? Um, so the... So we were we were very frustrated by those those limitations as as mm. I described, but mm. then on on the other side we were really excited about uh, the new crop of where well, they were new then of what you call big data tools. Mm. So I'd spent uh, when I'd been at um, when I'd been at Open Ads, which became OpenX, um, mm. I'd spent a lot of time trying to figure out what their data warehousing strategy should be. Mm. Knowing that if you want to build a data warehouse for a um, a display, a, a real-time display ad exchange, it needed mm. to be able to scale to billions, billions of events. Um, and in in Europe, when we were looking at the problem, you just couldn't find companies that had sort of solved that problem at that mm. scale because because at that at, at the time that I was there, sort of two thousand six, two thousand and seven, the tools like Hadoop were still was mm. was still pretty new and they didn't really have much adoption. And mm. there was more adoption in the US than there was in Europe, but we were we were well behind the curve. So I was and and Alex as well, we were sort of incredibly excited that all these limitations around mm. the volume of data that you could work with that we'd kind of lived with for our, our whole working life, suddenly open source frameworks like Hadoop mm. and uh new services like Amazon Web Services mm. uh we're suddenly making making that possible and actually making that pretty easy. Um, so we we were frustrated by the limitation by the limitations of traditional web analytics tools. We were excited that suddenly we could start collecting and querying data at scales that wasn't possible before. And the the the, the sort of the the nudge that we needed to start building Snowplow. It's not like we made a decision to stop consulting and start start to build a company. We were we were we were consultants and we. Uh, we we realised we uh, I think we were at, at, at the pub and we had a, a, a bunch <laughs> of, a bunch of different people that yeah. we were having drinks with and one of them told us how Quantcast logged data across their network of the network of websites with the Quantcast tags by serving a, a pixel um, from a CDN uh, recording those CDN logs and then passing them using EMR and it was just like a light bulb moment like wow that is that's so so simple and so potentially powerful and so the next day uh the, ne the next day we took the pwic which is the open source uh alternative to google analytics we took their javascript tracker and we forked it to fetch a pixel on cloudfront and we switched on cloudfront logging and we wrote a hive deserializer so that you could run SQL queries against the cloudfront logs and that's all that the first version of snowplow uh was so it's put together in a day um, we published it on GitHub. We did some blogging about it. Really, we were just we, we were just kind of amazed that uh, it, with relatively minimal effort, suddenly there was a general purpose framework. Like it was it was so raw then that it, it, we, we I, I'm embarrassed calling it a tool, but there, there was something that was out there that anybody could take and collect granular event level. Data. And remember, that was the thing that we'd wanted to be able to get out of Google Analytics 
for all these different clients that we'd been working for over over those years and we'd never been able to and suddenly we didn't suddenly there wasn't a vendor um mediating our access or our clients access to their own data they could collect their own data on amazon web services at any scale and run any any query against it. i mean running the queries was a complete you know ball ache you had to fire up an emr cluster and write a hadoop job uh but but it, it was possible and that was real that was a real sort of light bulb moment. It's a game changer. I mean, it, there's a lot. There's a lot you said in there that's kind of interesting. And, and again, a lot of this was 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 new to me when I came to work um, at Qubit, where I am now. Um, this you mentioned there's a couple of things that are interesting. One was the JavaScript tracker, and I think that's something that most people from my old world wouldn't know that is. I think it'd be worth just kind of maybe elaborating a little bit on, on what that is. But the other thing is event level tracking, and, and that seems to be the thing that you know, like you said, you, we, you the ability to kind of track in each individual behavioral interaction you know, on a website as opposed to page views and so on that you know that level of extra detail is a is a massive difference isn't it i mean what what what's the benefit that you that as far as you're concerned about going down to that event level really what did that really open up for, for customers and for the industry um so on the with with getting down to the event level data the key benefit is the ability to determine how you want to aggregate up the data so if you're working with session level data, if you're working with user level data, you're you're fundamentally limited with what you can do with the data because there's a load of logic that has been applied to get to that aggregate, aggregate data set. So if you don't agree with the logic, or the logic doesn't fit with your business, then you're then then you're sort of stuck. And in the case of in the case of web data, the really the most obvious way that that aggregation didn't work was all that aggregation was done based on cookie IDs, this idea of a unique uh, unique visitor. So you could, um, and that uh, that really just gives you a view of a particular, a particular browser. Um, but what we wanted to do in nearly all cases was understand people. And typically people engage with, with sites across multiple, multiple devices. Um, and so the ability to define uh, who a user is and, and be able to accurately measure what that user is doing um, across different different devices uh, is is really really powerful, especially if you want to start joining that behavioral data with other with other user level data. Um, we also found a load of limitations with sessionization. Like the, the the whole idea of a session sort of dates back to the web in the 90s, where you could just do one thing at a time. There were no multi tabs. There, there wasn't that much you could do apart from click around from document to document and um and the and so the a definition of a session is you know i've stopped doing i haven't done it for 30 minutes and when i start doing something again i must be doing something new that might have worked back then but it really it really doesn't work in 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 today's world and so for all sorts of analysis the the aggregate data that we were dealing with um out of out of google analytics by and large was uh, it was very hard to do what we wanted with it okay, okay. and you, you said i mean you've been talking about i mean right back at the start you talked about <clears throat> not just kind of i suppose web web websites for tracking things on there all forms of digital interaction i mean just what what's the what what was the kind of next area you moved into so you're obviously tracking uh you know uh stuff for a website first of all but how, how quickly did it kind of expand into other digital interactions as well and sort of multi-channel stuff and multi-device um so there were two so um 
we went on this evolution. We started very much as a data warehousing solution for web data, sort of clickstream data warehouse. Um, and then in terms of moving from that to a general event data collection across platforms and channels, uh, there were two there were two bits to that. So one of the one of the early customers that we worked with were in, was in the games industry, and they wanted to track, as you know, all games companies do, uh, event level data out of the game. So instead of uh, you know loading a page, viewing a product, adding a product to basket, buying the product, they were interested in you know building a castle, planting some crops, forming an alliance, declaring war. Uh, the 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 underlying events were just totally, totally different. And the data points that they wanted to collect with each of those data points were totally different. And uh, what we realized, which seems obvious now in retrospect, but, but, but took us a while back then, was that the, 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 the structure of data that we were used to dealing with, we'd sort of accepted that as, uh, as the default. But that had been something that had been baked into the web analytics tools. And again, that, that was a structure of data that was built around the web in the in the 1990s and in in the 2000 the 2010s when you had mobile and you had uh, you know like people doing much much more through digital platforms like you live your whole life through digital platforms you know you flirt and fall in love on dating sites you uh, manage your finances on finance apps you plan your holidays you like the, the, like you manage your health you know you track where you run where you cycle all these different all these different things that the activities um, that you conduct on these platforms are much, much more varied. And so the data that describes those activities needs to, needs to be much, much more varied. And the structure of that data needs to be much, much more flexible. And so what we what we built into Snowplow, and it's the, the functionality that I'm, I'm sort of proudest, is the ability for each of our users to define uh, their own events and their own entities. So if you're a games company, you can say, you know, this is the universe of things that a player can do in, in, in my universe. And these are the data points that I want to track with each of those events. And these are the different entities that might interact with me to how I want to describe those entities, the different properties of those, uh, those entities. And then obviously we've got, you know, a load of standard definitions. They're all schemas effectively uh, that are public, that are publicly available, but each of our users can define their own, uh, there and it means that two Snowplow users can track uh, can track radically different user journeys. And you look at the two data sets, and they look totally, totally different. You know, they're they're being collected through the same the same underlying technology. Uh, so that was one that was one big thing because it meant suddenly you could collect data that described events that didn't look like web events. But the second the second thing that we needed to make possible was to collect data from a non web environments. You asked me about the JavaScript tracker earlier. So web, web tracking has traditionally been done um, primarily via uh, JavaScript SDK that sits in your browser, um, that listens for things happening, changes to the DOM, um, web pages being loaded. And when those things happen, uh, trigger requests um, to your data pipeline. Uh, and in those requests are the it, uh, it it posts the data uh, that describes those events, those events that have uh, that have occurred. Um, so there was a alternative model of uh, sort of passing the logs that the cert that the web servers uh, produced uh, to serve to serve the website. But JavaScript tracking is is sort of the way primarily that the web tracking is done. 
Um, we uh, so making it possible to track uh, events from other different locations. To do that, we had to um, release a whole host of other trackers, we call them, or SDKs, so that you could track events from any kind of environments. So that's you know mobile. We had an uh, Objective C tracker and an Android tracker, and then a whole host host of server side trackers. Um, you know Ruby, Python, Scala, Java, PHP, uh, and and all the rest. And so the combination of having uh, trackers for the all your different environments and the ability to define your own events meant that suddenly this was a generic event data capture platform. It wasn't tied to a specific platform, a specific type of event data. And that's really, really, really important. So, so you mentioned, right back at the start again, you mentioned about um, tying identity across different sort of channels. And, and so that when you go in via your phone or you do something else, or you go in via different kind of like routes in, you can tie this together and understand the kind of bigger picture. But that that kind of, I suppose, cross-device uh, understanding of identity, that's, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? How how, how do you approach that? And, and is, is that a problem, do you think? Or is it something that's now been solved? What's your thoughts on that? No, I think I think it's a solvable problem. But it's quite difficult to solve in a in a generalizable way. Um, so let we what we find is that each one of our each one of our clients will will solve it in a slightly different way. And there are patterns that you can that, that you can sort of spot across um, across them. So in terms of of the technology, what our tech lets our clients do is it lets them collect very very granular event event data from all. All different platforms and channels and with each event we do our best uh, through a combination of uh, automatic tracking and then very very flexible schemas to ena- enable our customers to collect the the broadest range of device and user identifiers as possible so on the web we make it easy to automatically track you know first party cookie id a third party cookie id a, a fingerprint if you want um, ip address all those different Different things, and then if the if the uh, the if the client has ways of generating their own user IDs, and often often they do if a user logs in, or if they can if there are ways of getting users to identify um, themselves, then that can be then that can be passed in. Um, so step one is 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 getting uh, is making it possible to uh, to record all those different identifiers. And then step two is uh, building a process, building some business logic that ties all those different identifiers together. And so solving the identity stitching piece is, is two steps, really. It's first working out how to reliably identify users. And often that's, that's, a, question, often that's a conversation between our clients and their, their customers, the consumers that use their service, and coming up with ways to, uh, to, to really incentivize their users to reveal to reveal who they are so that the user gets a better user experience. Now you tell us who you are and then because we can recognize you across different browsers and platforms, we can provide you a better, more tailored personal experience or whatever that is. Um, and then the, te- the technology being flexible enough and granular enough that you can then um, uh, implement your own identity stitching algorithm on top to build that, uh, to build that single customer view. For other customers that don't necessarily have a direct relationship with their consumers, they might need to integrate our tech with different identity providers and services. So they're, um, you know, services that are good at, at machine fingerprinting or services like Parable that are good at spotting a single mobile device across different apps and, and browser 
or services like Drawbridge that are good at mapping different third-party cookie IDs and saying you know, all the different third-party cookie IDs are really the same, okay. the same user. Okay, so so you said back at the start you put all the code on on GitHub, and I know you know it was an MVP at the time. It was something that was you know you were it worked and it, it solved the problem and so on. But but what's what's the commercial model now for for Snowplow? I mean, it is cause I know your code in your product is available, I think, on an open source or freemium basis. But how does it work now, and and how do you make money and and, and grow? I suppose really. Um, there are two there are two sides to the business. So there is a um, there's a, a, a paid-for platform, um, which is built on top of the open source. I can talk a little bit about the, the difference between the paid-for platform and, and the open source. And then there's also professional services side of the business. So it, it's pretty common as an open source, uh, open source company to have a professional services um, component. With Snowplow, that is particularly important because the tech doesn't solve a specific business problem. The, tech, the technology is very horizontal. It provides a a foundation that then makes it easy, easier to start solving these problems. Not necessarily, uh, it, it's still not necessarily easy to solve any of these problems. So, if you if you want to do attribution right, if you want to better serve your customers, if you want to better use data to drive your product development process, then um, then collecting uh, a, a very very high quality data set um, is, is is sort of step one, and Snowplat does that. Um, but but then taking that data and using that data to solve any of those those problems uh, is, is a big step and it's not necessarily an easy step. So having a services team that can go into our clients and help and show them how to use the technology to, to solve those problems and to solve them quickly and iteratively and demonstrate business value is uh, it's really important for a lot of our clients because it, it, it makes our tech more accessible and it's really important for for us because it, it's uh it means we don't we're not just we're not limited to selling into uh the types of data sophisticated companies that have big internal data teams that know what to do with what is effectively a really big fire hose of of data that that our tech can can deliver they can we can actually help them solve specific uh goals and help develop their internal competency around around that data so s- services are really important and then the the paid for platform is really important. So um, the the idea there is that the open source is scalable and it's robust, uh, and um, we we're committed to open source. We sort of firmly believe that as a company, one of the most valuable things you can do is collect data, and you should own that data and control that data, and you shouldn't have to rely on a, a vendor. Uh, you shouldn't be sort of you shouldn't be at the mercy of a vendor who can potentially lock you in like that customer data. That's that's your that, that that's potentially your secret source and the intelligence you build on it should hopefully be your uh, your secret source. You you also owe it to your customers, sort of your data subjects, to look to 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 collect data right and and use that data for the mutual benefit of you you and your customers, and not have a vendor tell you how to how to do that. So um, the the so. Open, having open source is really important. We think there needs to be an open source platform that lets people do that. What what we found though is that uh, to use our open source successfully, um, companies need um, to be pretty good at the data engineering and DevOps side of things. And the idea with the the paid for platform is we're giving the same power and control to companies that 
that either don't necessarily have uh, those uh, that type of expertise, or if they do, they want to use those resources for something else. So we want to make it possible for an analyst or a data savvy marketer or a product manager, uh, a product team that don't ne- that aren't necessarily you know rich in uh, data engineering and DevOps uh, resources. We want to we want to make it possible for those uh, for uh, those type of people in those types of companies to to take control of their data the way that the open source lets the um, lets the more kind of engineer engineer first companies take control of their um, their data. And so the, the paid for product is built on the open source, but around it we've got a um, a UI and a, a set of hosted services so that the uh, the whole experience is 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 much is much much easier. I mean, they sign in. So they want a new pipeline. Um, everything's set up in a couple of hours, and uh, they can focus on actually doing things with the data rather than um, setting up and running the uh, running the pipes. Okay, that sounds very similar to uh, to Imply that I had uh, Fangin, I think, from Imply on the yes. uh, show, and and they've done the same similar thing with Druid. Um, they don't really manage the pipeline as such, but they certainly offer it as a managed service. And, you know, they solve the problem for me of, of how to get kind of Druid working sort of in a reasonable amount of time. But they take care of a lot more of it as well. And um, that's a good model, actually. I mean, it's a model where you get the feedback into the product and the actual core SDK. But you also help people who, you know, want to focus on other things, really, rather than actually data engineering. Yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, of the Imply guys. Yeah, um, yeah the, the model is very... It's very similar, and actually, we're, we're we're pretty keen on getting an integration between uh, Snowplow and 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 Imply. Cause, uh, interesting, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So, so, um, yeah, moving on a bit, there was I, I watched a couple of your um, YouTube videos <clears throat> where you've been presenting on 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 Snowplow, and there was a really one, one. There was one one you presented on that really resonated with me, where you talked about um, you said digital analytics is really interesting but really hard. Um, and I, I, that resonated with me because it, it's it, it's very true. You know, the, the models are, are are complex, the the use cases are complex, and so on. But why did you say that? What is it about digital analytics that makes it surprisingly hard to be productive and successful with? Well, that's a that's a big that's a big question. I, I think yeah. there are there are a few different there are a few different reasons. Um, the first is. Digital data is very um, heterogeneous. So, you know, digital experiences, as, as, as we talked about earlier, are really, are, are really uh, broad. The, the the types of experience that you have on um, on a jobs board uh, are nothing like the types of experiences you have when you're browsing your uh, your national newspaper in 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 the morning. And so, the types of uh, the types of questions that you're going to have of that data are going to vary. Even if you're, if you're, if you're a marketer, or um, you know, there might there might be similar similarities of, about the questions you ask if you're uh, trying to trying to drive more companies to advertise on your jobs board or more applicants to come. But they're going to look different, and the way you're going to use that data to answer those questions is going to be different than if you're uh, a newspaper, an ad funded, or subscription based, or, or yeah. both. It's very domain um, specific, isn't it? Very domain specific. Um, you know, if, if you if you're doing a, a, if you're making analysts work in digital marketing, for example, you've got to really know your stuff there. It's a very kind of specialised area with very specialised kind of questions you have to answer and data models and that sort of thing. Yeah, you've got to you've got to understand the business and the business context and all all the things that you have to do if you want to be uh, any sort of analyst. But on top of that, there's just a huge amount of 
technical knowledge to acquire. You need to know how this. Uh, you can't really work in digital unless you've got a, a good working knowledge of your uh, your uh, your JavaScript and how data is collected from there. Typically, you're combining that with other data sets. You need to understand where that data is collected. You need to understand the uh, how that data has been processed, how that be- data is being surfaced. You've then got a plethora of, ch- of, of tools to take to answer, uh, to take that data and try and um, answer your question. And that's where the, the sort of second challenge comes up. Um, we're used as analysts to thinking um, we benefit from uh, uh, decades uh, of, of um, of, of work developing analytics techniques, you know, going back, back to the development of, of statistics and then you've got all these different technologies and, and machine learning and so on. Like, and analysts, we feel like there's a whole bunch of tools as a, a, a like, we're, we're really empowered to go and do things with data. But, but actually, a lot of those tools don't work particularly well with event data. So if you're working with data sets that are, that are measurements, so, you know, you've got uh, uh, you're running an experiment and you're, you're measuring uh, the outcome of that experiment, you're measuring things like temperature or whatever, or you're dealing with a very uniform data set like, uh, like transactions, for example, then, then things are very, very easy. You've got a really wide range of statistical techniques. You, know, you can c- compute averages, mins, maxes. Uh, you can pivot the data. You, um, uh, you can... Um, uh, run all kinds of statistical techniques, regression, et cetera, et cetera, on the data. There's, there's loads you can do with it. If you're dealing with, with event, event data, um, actually, you can't, you can't do any of those things with the underlying data. You're, when, you're, when you're looking at event-level data, you, you know that somebody did something and then somebody did something else and somebody did something else, and maybe they're making decisions or maybe they're trying to to get to a particular endpoint, it's often not clear who the person is who's carrying out these. It's not clear what they're trying to do. It's not clear to what extent what they're doing is driven by um, uh, by the design of the digital product they're engaging in or by their intention. And uh, and answering those questions, you, you can't answer those questions with any of those those techniques um, that I've described. You can't even like counting counting events or averaging them, or many, that doesn't doesn't even make any sense. So all the all the usual functions that we use to aggregate data don't actually work on um, on event level data. You wanna you wanna take this data and you wanna start figuring out who these people are, what are they doing, and then start measuring them by are they successful at what they're doing? Are they failing at what they're doing? If they're failing, why are they failing? If they're more likely to go one way than another way, why is that? And though that sort of question, that sort of analysis. There aren't there aren't um, techniques or approaches or, or tools that just let you answer those um, answer those out of the box. So, do, you, do you think that's why there's a, do you think that's why people still use SQL a lot really within within uh, this kind of industry? It, it struck me I, I was used to everybody in my world using a graphical tool, <clears throat> doing the very simple ag- ag- aggregations and so on that you talked about. But the, the, I suppose that the many-to-many nature of a lot of the data and the complexity of those questions and the more the more fundamentally different way of, of, of coming to your conclusion meant that SQL was used a lot more than I expected. Really, did you find that at all as well? I yeah, I totally agree with that. I it think means, that's, it, it completely that's exactly why. Um, yeah, SQL is just um, it, it, it's sort of one, one way of 
of, of, of solving that problem. And it's actually not a very elegant way because it's very hard. It's very hard to write a SQL query that, that says, show me all the people who uh, did A, then B, but then didn't do C. Uh, SQL is still built around, um, you know, grouping things and computing sums and mins and maxes and count distincts and all the rest. And you can, you you can start doing some of this analysis with SQL. You can, uh, which is why people do, and you end up writing these sort of horrendous, horrendous window functions. So that's kind of that's ugly as sin. But you you just can't do these in. Uh, uh, there just aren't other other tools to let you do this stuff easily. So so I think that's why people are using SQL. That's why people are using Spark. That's why people are using R and Python and and so on. Like if you if you want the freedom to analyze the data in the way you want, you don't want the tool telling you what to do. Um, those th- those are the best those are the best tools we have. But it's it's still not easy. Okay. Okay. Now, another quote you had from one of your presentations was you said that um, in digital analytics you need smart people, and there are companies out there building tools out there to try and make it possible who aren't smart to play digital analytics. But Snowplow is about enabling smart people. So I think that first bit we just covered there by by saying the tools out there now aren't, aren't really suitable. But how is Snowplow you know enabling smart people? What what's the kind of thing then that, that particularly does that as far as you're concerned? Um, so for me. The, the 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 tension is always between democratizing data, so putting make, making it possible for more people to uh, to sort of do do things with data, um, and not not dumbing dumbing the data down. So an easy way to democratize data is to dumb to dumb it down. If you if you hide a lot of the complexity, if you make it seem simpler. Um, then it's more likely that more people will start doing things with the data. But the, the 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 problem is if you if you hide some of the complexity, if you hide some of the uh, the the intricacies in 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 the data, then you're disempowering the the type uh, smart people that can uh, that rather that so smart smart people is a sort of loaded term, but I mean pe- people who want to do data right, people who are but like I, I, I want to know if there are irregularities in the data because that's an opportunity. Potentially, there's something for me, for me to understand um, there. So, uh, uh, so we, we don't want to, we, we don't want to hide anything. Like empowering, empowering smart people for us means uh, rather than dumb anything down, rather than hide anything, expose. Uh, make it possible for a, a, a smart person using the data to to be able to view any part of uh, the data any part of the the processing and to understand exactly um what's going on so so for example like a silly example but it illustrates illustrates the point we don't filter out uh suspected bots and spiders from our from the data set that we that we deliver we just label label them or provide tools so that our users can see hey this is probably a bot or a spider because uh, because that's interesting. That might mean uh, th- there are a whole bunch of use cases where actually you might be interested in exactly uh, how many robots are crawling crawling your website and what you're up to. And if some of them are committing ad fraud or uh, uh, you know scraping scraping your data for nefarious purposes, that's that that's really important. You wanna you wanna know about it. So 
it's it's tempting to sort of sweep that under the rug to filter that out to, so that when you're reporting the number of users um you're you're excluding them and that's the right thing to do if you're interested in the number of human people on the uh on on the website but you don't want to we don't want to um yeah we don't we don't want to make any assumptions for our users our, our users are, are, are smart and we trust them that if we give them the full data set and if, if 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 they want they can come to us for guidance um they can they'll know what to do with the data to treat it uh, right to answer the specific question that they want. And depending on the question, that might involve slicing and dicing the data different ways, ignoring different subsets of, of the data. But it's presumptuous of any vendor to do that ahead of speaking to a user of understanding the question, the question that a user wants to ask, or um, uh, and, and even the assumption that there's there's one kind of canonical way of presenting the data that's going to meet all that user's needs is 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 pretty outrageous. You're 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 really disempowering you use it, even though you're making it easier because you're effectively dumbing things down. Okay. So, so the last thing I want to talk to you about was, was, was taking this forward. I mean, you, you've, so it sounds like you've done fantastically well to, to build something that's got this kind of great um, open source stroke commercial model. You know, you sound like you're solving the problem really well. Um, but then, the, then there comes the question of, you know, growth and, and, and how you perhaps compete with the Googles and the Adobes and, and that sort of this world. And people might say to you, for example, well, this is good as a pipeline, but we'd like to be able to do, you know, do you do A-B testing on top as well? What's your strategy going forward about competing, staying kind of relevant and, and, and growing and that sort of thing? Well, that's another really big question. <laughs> um, where, where do I start? So there's, I think, I think there's, What's exciting about the space that we're in is there's, there's there's so much scope for there's so much scope for innovation. So in in the time we've been around, like when we, if if you think about how far the industry has come, when we when we started, uh, the number one question that I'd get sort of going around dig- different digital analytics conferences was why would I why would I want to warehouse my data? What what does that what report does that let me run that I can't get out of Google Analytics? And we never get we never get that question anymore. It's uh, even you know Google by launching Premium, which became 360, acknowledged that there's a, a ton of stuff you can do with this data if you can access the underlying data, especially in uh, 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 a cloud data warehouse that lets you sort of query it flexibly and in a in a in a performant performant way. So pe- people, I think today, widely recognise the value of warehousing your data. But if I I look if I look around I think um, I think there's still a whole bunch of challenges that companies have around um, acting on the data in real time and uh, and making making decisions in real time. If uh, the, the situation today is there are a lot of there are a lot of people who understand the value in being able to do that and have the aspiration to do that. But it's 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 technically it's technically very difficult. It's difficult to build um, uh, stream processing applications. Uh, it's difficult to it, it's very difficult for it, it requires a lot of a lot of engineering that most people in in marketing or in product development um, don't necessarily have have access to. And so they're they. That that today reminds me of the state of sort of 
digital analytics six years ago when it came to the warehousing piece. As, as an industry, people have got much, much better at the idea of warehousing their clickstream data, their digital data, their mobile data, their web data, et cetera, doing, joining that with other data sets and, and doing things. That's now a well-trodden path. I think we need to go on a similar on a similar journey with real-time data processing. So I think that's a big um, opportunity for us at, uh, at Snowplow. I think coming up with ways to uh, to solve some of those really difficult problems um, in uh, that, that make digital data hard to work with um, is a really fruitful area of, of, of research. Um, so we talked a little bit about some of the limitations uh, uh, that, that even SQL has in letting you letting you work with this underlying data and we're, we're doing a fair amount of R&D with graph databases, for example, to see if that's a, 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 a paradigm potentially for working with this with data with this data so that's another that's another area that we're really excited um excited about and then i think there's a lot that we can do in the short term to empower uh, to empower more uh, product teams more marketing teams more editorial teams that want to be data driven and don't don't have that uh, necessarily that engineering resource so we're starting to to provide a better experience for those um for those users but there's a lot lot further there's a lot lot further for us to go so there's a huge amount of yeah huge amount of interesting problems to keep to keep to keep solving and hopefully the more of them we solve the uh the more snowplow grows yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned graph databases. I, I was speaking, I was chatting with, uh, I think, Nick Schrock, who did Guy Behind GraphQL, um, about potentially coming on the show at one point. And we were talking about the, 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 use, of, uh, you know, the use of GraphQL in this kind of context, really, you know, defining over kind of API, over schemas uh, and, and using for analytics and so on. I mean, that, 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 that sounds interesting, really. I mean, what, what, where do you think just I mean, graph databases, what, where do you think the, the potential is there, really, around that sort of thing? What, what, what would it be able to solve for you, do you think? Um, the, I think it would make it a lot, lot simpler to query event data. So if you, if you model it in a graph, right, then, then running those queries, um, uh, show me all the users who've done A, then B, then haven't done C, and then compare the likelihood to do D with those who've just done A, they, they sort of fall out of a, a well-designed graph model a lot easier than writing writing the sql the sql queries and that means that then potentially aggregating over over the data in that in that kind of uh in that graph world might be uh might be a lot lot it it, it might be easier to it might be a, it might be a better paradigm for writing writing those those jobs it might also be computationally more um more efficient uh but i'm 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 more excited about it because I think it's a uh, it's it's a very natural way of of modeling event data and it's it's a richer way because you can start modeling the the relationship between the the entities and how those relationships change change oh, over time. So, interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, I'm conscious of time anyway for you, but, but it's I mean it's been fantastic to to speak to you, Ali. I mean, obviously having read much about what you do and the products and so on, it's great to speak to the kind of brains behind it i mean how do people find out more about snowplow if they want to find out and maybe download the product and, and get started and that sort of thing oh they should come to our website on snowplowanalytics.com 
um, and check out our GitHub on github.com slash snowplow slash snowplow. Excellent. That's really good. Well, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, have a good evening. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs>